0: Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello Buglers, and welcome to a sub-episode of Primist Hogwashery, from the Bugles, much sought-after vaults of the never-previously-heard, the previously-heard but probably forgotten about, and the, let's be honest, rightly and deliberately ignored, This week, you'll be hearing from the recent past, the less recent past, and the world of voluntary subscriber lies. Let's start with some bits of recent bugles that, on health and safety grounds, were withheld from public consumption due to being one or more of too funny, or too politically dangerous, or too true, or not true enough, or because they contain secret codes embedded by the Russian Secret Service. They change them every few weeks, so this stuff is now safe. Chris, start the gramophone.
1: I went to a place called Tobermory. Now, did you ever get a program uh, in Australia called Ballamorey? No, kiddies, it's a kiddies thing. And uh, there was a little thing, little tune. What's the story, Morey? Wouldn't you like to know? And there was Mrs... oh, I can't remember what her name. Oh, is.
2: I, I wasn't allowed to watch TV as a kid. I read books in trees like an Enid Blyton asshole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is this is quite later, late, Ten yeah. years ago. Maybe yeah, a bit 10, more, 15, 15 years ago. Yeah. But um, it was all brightly coloured houses and it was filmed on this place called Tobermory. And there was a the, one of the women was called Mrs Hooley and the, the house that Mrs Hooley lived in, in this fictional children's place, they rented out this... A real house that was a bright colour, and I visited the people who, who lived there. This really old couple. They were on their 80s and they were just this delightful couple. But they were just sick of the number of people who come and knock on the door and say, <laughs> "Can we see Mrs. Hooley And she was, and the bloke was from Glasgow. He was just out oh, there, he wasn't seeing nothing. Like, and then the and the woman was from. she loved there all her life on this little wee island, and it was just a square and a seat. And there's no Mrs. Hooley there, and and she was so sweet. and like, would you like a biscuit? And I as I she got telling the story, she got more and more animated. She was in her 80s. And I said <laughs> to her, and some, there was a wee guy crawling through my garden. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for Miss Shirley." I said, there's no such person. And he said, but there is. We've seen her on the television. And I said, but that's the television. It's not real. And he said, but I've seen it. And by the time she ended, she went, and I received her, well, you're f- <laughs> off! And you're f***ing <laughs> in the heat! You're f- can we shake your <laughs> f*cking? There's need. You don't f*cking it's so we television. And then the bloke who hadn't said anything, he said, "I went out and I said, if you went to the Rio Grande, would you wonder the why there was need John Wayne shooting f*cking Indians?"
0: <laughs> uh, in uh, other plant news, some very distressing news coming from the plants of uh, of Europe, in particular, the olive tree the Xylella bacterial pathogen could ruin the European oil harvest. Not that that's any of Britain's concern these (laughs) days. We don't need European olives anymore because we have very British rabbit droppings which are basically interchangeable. Um, Now, olive oil uh, is, uh, to me, probably the second most important substance uh, in our lives after oxygen, maybe (laughs) second equal with water. And a similar outbreak of Xylella um, put uh, olive oil prices up by 20% back in 2013. I mean... I'm just not sure that Britain can can handle this in this, this delicate economic stage. There are concerns that the uh, Xylella uh, pathogen could actually now come over here to the UK and put our own homegrown plant pathogens out of business. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are in fact, in the run-up to European elections, there are posters of swarthy-looking Xylella pathogens snaking their way towards Britain could prove a crucial factor in the the forthcoming vote. You just don't know these days. And um, Xylella, of course, not only a threat to our olives, but is also renowned for its very popular video blogs about issues (laughs) ranging from how to devastate a crucial Mediterranean crop, what makeup to use when you're trying to attract a new insect vector, how to keep looking good when you're slowly killing a vine, (laughs) plus a travel guide to the delightful Puglia region in southern Italy for any other plant pathogens contemplating a summer getaway to a most scenic and hospitable part of the world.
2: Yeah, Andy, you know the environment is getting ropey when a food that's been the cornerstone of a whole dietary je- genre for 3,000 years is under serious threat.
3: <laughs> I mean, to explain this to Americans, so olive oil is such an important part of uh, Southern European cuisine and culture, it's as if we had like a pathogen in like lard or high fructose corn syrup.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that puts it all in some harrowing perspective.
1: Oh!
2: You know, Steve Apparently, Irwin, most uh, seven... of us thought he was an
0: idiot. <laughs> 74% of British people in the survey said that they had tried uh, cocaine, although that is mostly because of an EU directive forcing us to take psychotropic substances that leave a trail of uh, human devastation around the world. And uh, the founder of the Global Drug uh, Drug Survey, Professor Adam Winstock, uh, said, in the UK... We don't tend to do moderation. Mm-hmm. We end up getting drunk as the point of the evening. I, I would take issue with this. When you look at town centres, city centres on a Friday or Saturday night, we don't get drunk as the point of the evening. We get drunk as the point of existence. It's a, it's a key difference. <laughs> he also said, uh, suggested we need to change our culture and become, quotes, more European in our drinking. <laughs> Have you not been watching the news for the last two years, 11 months? That was explicitly a vote against moderation in all things. He said, we might have to bite the bullets. That is one way of cutting down on your drinking... <laughs> And and think about how to advise people to get drunk by drinking uh, well, drinking less. And it's good to set achievable goals. Not to, how to advise people to find purpose and meaning in life without needing the consciousness numbing refuge of cheap booze and aggressive cocktails. But get drunk a little bit less. Vomit in a bin, not all over a bus stop or taxi in a police cell. Just wean yourself gradually off it.
2: My favourite part of Professor Andam Winstock's uh, statement was that uh, we get told too much is bad but current guidelines fail to accept the Pleasure of intoxication. <laughs> 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 also, I should say that we we respect Steve Owen a lot now, but it's mainly because he's dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's all from the way, isn't it?
2: Unf- yeah, we didn't appreciate uh, him when he was alive. We we're all like, why would you do that?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's basically a fairly accurate summary of, uh, I guess the uh, the life and times of Jesus Christ. <laughs> in
2: very similar stories. If Jesus Christ had had two adorable children that spend their lives following in their father's footsteps and a zoo.
0: Did he not? <laughs> Where did all those donkeys come from?
3: <laughs> Andy, I have a quick question about the yep. Indian electoral process, and I know that you are a keen observer of both democracy and Indian chaos. So... Um, Yes. So in my home city of Calcutta, there is an actress uh, who's just become a politician. Her name is Mimi Chakravarti, and she was, uh, she does soap opera, she does films, and she's been given a ticket to run as a candidate from the ruling party of Bengal. Uh, she was campaigning on the streets of Bengal, uh, but uh, in a way to connect with voters, she decided to shake hands with them wearing gloves. <laughs> Right. She doesn't catch any unexpected diseases from them. And later, when she spoke at an election campaign rally, she started shouting at them, saying, I'm very busy, I'm very rich, I have other things to do, but I've taken the time to come here, so you better shut up and listen.
2: <laughs>
3: do you think, Andy, that these make you more endearing to voters or less?
0: Well, I'm, I just don't know with democracy anymore. You just, I mean... What kind of gloves are they i mean if they're cricket if they're cricket gloves then you could maybe see that 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 is you know trying to exploit' india's, india's great great passion for for cricket
3: exactly exactly that's an opinion
0: like if she 's dressed like a wicket keeper, maybe she sings something but these well, it's a very strong image i'm a safe pair of hands. What more do you want in your political leaders? <laughs> I mean, if, if Theresa May had conducted the entire Brexit negotiations with wicket-keeping kit on, I think we'd have done a lot better. <laughs> well, this week, as I record, the 2019 Cricket World Cup began. England, in a deeply unpatriotic desecration of decades of national tradition, are beginning the World Cup not only, as not completely and utterly useless and years behind the times in the context of world cricket, but actually as favourites. They began with a win against South Africa, the highlight of which was Ben Stokes taking a catch that made physics quake in its very boots in the fear that everything it always thought was true might merely be a charade. We've all been there. Eight years ago, the World Cup was held in Asia, and here are some of my reflections on my first experience of travelling on the world's most popular continent. 4.5 billion-plus people can't be wrong. Here's a chunk... From Bugle issue 145. Bugle feature section now and travel.
4: And since we last spoke, John, I have skipped the country three times. I'm a fugitive (laughs) from the law, albeit on a pre planned itinerary and without the law having any real beef with me and hence not providing any resources to tracking me down. I initially fled Britain for Dubai. I was turfed out of Dubai after 36 hours uh, as scheduled. All I could get at the airport was a flight to Bangladesh, possibly with that as the flight I booked myself. And then after three days in Dhaka... I was forced to peg it to India due to a contractual agreement with Crick Info, and a desire to watch more <laughs> cricket. Since then, I've been ducking and diving, never staying in one place for more than a couple of days. That's how they find you. Down the paper trail of hotel and travel bookings, I guess. Delhi, Nagpur, back to Delhi, and now Bangalore. And in a change from the traditional British tradition, I have thus far managed not to shoot any tigers or subjugate the locals and exploit their natural resources for my own personal gain. So, well done, done, me. Just shows what a modern, what done, Andy? enlightened man I am, John. So, uh, Here's my bugle travel guide to some of the places I've been so far. Dubai. As discussed previously in this esteemed journalistic organ that is the bugle, Dubai is a silly place. The world's (laughs) biggest and most expensive toy. The highlight of Dubai, other than the departure lounge at the airport, was the Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest and f***ing stupidest building. And, John, it is properly staggering. It is majestic, physics-defying, a half-mile-high shard of pure economic cock and architectural wang flops <laughs> up to the table of humanity to the sound of oil-rich billionaires saying, what do you think of this, my dears?
2: <laughs> it is a
4: startling marvel of engineering, a thing of sky-popping, ice-scraping beauty in its own way, a honkingly amplified cue to the concept of impossibility, a <laughs> middle finger glittering defiantly in the face of gravity, necessity, and reason. A statement that there is nothing that is beyond the reach of humanity if, if the part of humanity making it is prepared to spend billions of dollars it doesn't have on something it doesn't need, while shafting other parts of humanity hard and persistently in the arse with a solid gold truncheon. <laughs> and the the bird Khalifa, John, is undeniably magnificent and certifiably f***ing stupid. There are, however, yeah. a lot of buildings in Dubai that are not nearly as magnificent and even more f***ing stupid. Because since <laughs> the world economic downturn kebabs the bubble of blind idiocy that drove the Dubai building boom like Juan Pablo Montoya driving a jet-propelled mobility scooter, there are, as a result of this, hundreds, hundreds of power blocks with basically no one in. Now, Dubai, I mean, you can't help thinking, particularly when you go to Dhaka afterwards, could that money not have been better spent doing something else than building a pointless skyscraper. No, now, for a long time,
5: no. No, honestly <laughs> not.
4: For a long time, Dubai has had more money than sense, by a similar margin to how millipedes have more legs than tits, or how the Bodleian Library has more books than inflatable blimps in the shape of crocolum, Crocodile Dundee-style at Linda Kraslovsky. <laughs> and Dubai, Dubai had more money than sense. But then the money turned out to be pretend... But the unquenchable lack of sense remains. And this is the <laughs> Dubai we have today. So sh- these f-ing stupid islands in the shape of the world are sitting f-ing stupidly, sinking even more stupidly into a suitably embarrassed sea. Skyscrapers <laughs> are one or both of empty and unfinished, standing in sheepish uselessness, gathering sand and dust. As necessary as pogo sticks for kangaroos, rucksacks for goldfish, or zero gravity snooker tables for starving sub Saharan children. As Albert Fizzwiz Einstein himself said, You cannot put a lead on a headless dog. Sorry, that's the wrong quote. The author says, an ostrich in a catapult is not the same as a helicopter. No, sorry, that was Thomas Edison. But anyway, Einstein said that the difference between genius and stupidity is that genius has its limits. And if he'd been to see the Burj Khalifa, and if he'd seen, like I did last week in Dubai, two ice hockey teams full of Russians playing each other in a game in a shopping mall in a desert, if he'd seen a hotel with a helipad where a room for a night could feed a village for a year, He'll be patting himself on his back with his magic test tube saying, nice one, Albert. You have hit that nail. Bang on the bonds. Now, Dhaka next, John. No one would mistake Dhaka for Paris. It doesn't have quite the same array of chic designer clothes outlets. No one would mistake Dhaka for Los Angeles. Its film industry is much less prominent. And even fewer people would mistake Dhaka for Dubai. A Dubai, a place with about as much soul as a bombed-out Kabul fishmonger. Dhaka, a ceaseless wave of humanity clinging to the precipice of viability with its triumphs and tragedies bustling together. And last week, John, it was going stark, bonkers crazy for cricket. And at the end of this week's bugle, to show you quite how stark, bonkers crazy for cricket they were going, uh, we've got some audio of the crowd at the opening World Cup match in Dhaka during an over in which the Indian Bowl of Shreeshan conceded 24 runs. Now, for our American listeners, that is... Shit, and the crowd went absolutely ballistic. And he said, "If you like, if you like sports, if you like cricket, you'll love it. If you like sports, you'll love it. If if you like life, you will love it." And that's coming at the end of the podcast. And the the World Cup began in Dhaka last Saturday. There was an opening ceremony featuring. um, What can you get to a feature, John? I mean, who would you obviously book for the opening ceremony of a cricket tournament in Bangladesh?
5: There's only one person, Andy, and her name is Tina Turner.
4: Wrong. It's Brian Adams. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so close, but uh, you know he's all about cricket in Bangladesh. Oh, you play, if you play Summer of '69 backwards, uh, it's basically a pean to the Bangladesh Test captain Habibul Bashar, who uh, is retired now. Anyway, uh, I arrived in, in Dhaka just as the opening ceremony was finishing, and my first experience of Asia was a taxi ride through streets that were blistering with enthusiasm for basically the biggest international event in the country's history, and uh, the people I met. You know, it's a, it's a country of massive and obvious poverty, but the people I met at the grounds in the streets were proud and optimistic and incredibly welcoming in the face of this long-term battering from history and nature. I couldn't help but thinking, London needs to lighten the f*** up. Um, <laughs> and going from du- Dubai to Dhaka is like playing consecutive frames of snooker against Kim Kardashian and Mother Teresa. So um, it was an eye-opening experience. It, it, and uh, I've met some really charming uh, Indian cricket journalists and uh, they, uh, some of them have got a flight from India into Bangladesh had to fill out a, uh, an entry form, an immigration form, in which they had to say, colour of skin, black, white or medium. What? <laughs> that was on the Bangladesh, entry form, the uh, immigration form, black, medium. white or medium. <laughs>
5: yeah. I'm guessing that was a form that <laughs> was designed by the British years ago.
4: And then I went to uh, Delhi, and I went to a game in Delhi, and uh, some of you might have read about the, the Delhi police being a little over-officious and essentially starving the stadium close to the point of death by not letting any food in. And uh, they were confiscating pretty much everything. And I was uh, searched on the way in, and, and uh, they wanted all my coins, because they have mm-hmm. had a bit of crowd trouble in Delhi in the past. And they searched my wallet for coins. But interestingly, I had to give them my Indian rupees, but I was allowed to keep my British pounds. Which. Um, <laughs> Which, I I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad for Britain. If it just means um, no one would possibly throw a British pound. It is an honourable currency. It always has been and always will be. Or it's just that Britain's currency has fallen so low in the esteem of the world that people think it's not worth being collected for charity as the rupees were. And also it's so embarrassing to its owner that no one would consider throwing it as a missile in a public location.
2: (laughs) Ah,
0: cricket. Way better than all reality. Last week, Bugle issue 4,110 was released. But what was the world like 4,000 episodes ago? Including all the ones between 294 and 4,000 that we didn't record. Well, let's find out. Here's some highlights from Bugle issue 110, featuring Andy Zaltzman and the former Spanish comedian, Juan Oliveira.
5: Top story this week, the final countdown to nearly 50% of eligible UK voters not bothering to put some paper in a box. <laughs> yeah, they said it would never happen, John.
0: They said it was an impossible dream. They said no one would have the balls to make it happen. But it's on, John. It is on! <laughs> it's general election time. I See, I got a bit of that wrong. They said it would definitely happen. They said it was a procedural inevitability. <laughs> And they said no-one would have the policies to make it interesting. But it is still on. It's
5: on. Democracy <laughs> it's lives. It's like Donkey Kong. <laughs> it might not have received much coverage over here in the US, Andy, but indeed Britain has announced the date of its next election, and it is to be, wait for it, May the 6th. So <laughs> put it in your diaries, spray-paint it onto your fridge, tattoo it onto your children's foreheads, and everyone, and I do mean everyone... Everyone in the world, take the day off work, May the 6th. Make sure you spend the entire 24 hours sitting in front of your television, flipping the channels and wondering why there seems to be no coverage of the UK election where you are. Before... Actually, I,
0: it's interesting you should say that, because I, uh, I was on a, a school trip to Greece in 1992, on the yeah. day of the uh, general election then. Um, right. And um, uh, <laughs> we were all uh, gathered around. It was, uh, we were waiting for the results to come late at night. But the only... International TV channel in this Greek hotel was uh, CNN. Right. And we were waiting for the result of the general election that had been built up as being a hugely significant defining moment in the history of modern Britain. The mm-hmm. choice between, you know, still properly left wing Labour and the continuation of the legacy of Thatcher. And uh, it was mentioned I- in about a 30 second. Final score, basically, after a 10-minute report about a farmer from Arkansas who'd lost a hand in a combine hire. <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, but w- why hasn't this been a bigger news story around the world this weekend? Well, I think it's because the UK are clearly doing a few things wrong. One... Britain is simply not as relevant as it used to be. If it, if it could fix that and once again become a dominant imperial superpower, that would go a long way to piquing people's interest. Two, where's the razzmatazz? Here in the US, they automatically know when the next election is going to be. There's no element of surprise. So the UK has a huge advantage there with the opportunity to announce it with some spectacle. And they blow it every time. Where was the motorcycle pyramid jumping through a hoop of fire while holding a horticultural arrangement spelling out May the 6th and tulips? Where was it? Instead, it was once again a group of men in charcoal suits reading out a press release. Not, and I repeat, not from the top of a motorcycle pyramid. Come on! <laughs> wow me! Also, number three, the election campaign is just not long enough in the UK. Four weeks Four weeks? What can you do in four weeks, Andy? The election here in America took a year and a half last time. It's like John Adams said, if it doesn't take over six months, it's probably not worth doing. <laughs> he was talking about uh, human pregnancy at that time. Doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. And he was biologically correct at that time. Well, um, I don't think everyone is
0: talking about it here, John, other than on uh, the TV news channels where they're obviously massively... Uh, excited by it, one of the major features of this election campaign, uh, apart from the cynical use of leaders' spouses and the squawkingly infantile poster campaigns, uh, is uh, is is this? It's slightly more Americanized coverage. Actually, they have they seem to f- follow all the leaders around the whole time and interview them about every thirty seconds. In effect, the the three party leaders are just on a permanent Twitter feed, a verbal Twitter feed, and I, I think there is a large chance that most of Britain will emigrate on May the 5th just to avoid the end of it. Um, (laughs) Alistair Darling, the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, he was uh, today uh, yesterday rebutting uh, Conservative uh, financial figures and said these very clever words, what you can't do is spend money you don't know you've got. (laughs) 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 Which, Uh... you know, from a man basically holding the purse strings of a government who spent a lot of money that it did know it didn't have. That's an interesting sideways step. (laughs) If you don't know you've got it, you shouldn't spend it. But if you know you don't have it, spend away. That's economics, John. That's why you and me can't
5: do it. We don't have that level of sideways thought. (laughs) David Cameron, the Conservative candidate, is, uh, as part of their manifesto, proposing voluntary national citizen service for all 16-year-olds, where... They join a two-month residential scheme featuring outdoor activities and community work. He said, show me a gang taking drugs, and I'll show you a group of people who have nothing to look forward to. (laughs) Now, hold on. I mean, that's not strictly true, Andy. I believe they're very much looking forward, for instance, to the next time they take drugs. (laughs) That's the ideal thing on their horizon. And also, not that this scheme doesn't have its merit in principle, but... I would question the viability of appealing to a gang taking drugs with a two-month scheme of outdoor activities and community work.
0: (laughs) I don't know, it's probably just not the same instant adrenaline rush, is it? (laughs) No, it's a longer high. (laughs) A
5: more sustained high. just that more ultimately satisfying? (laughs) An interesting fact regarding the UK elections, and one that probably provides a great insight into the British electorate psyche is that our elections are always held on a Thursday. Now, this is just a convention rather than a full legal stipulation. The original reason for it being that people were not paid until Fridays, so holding polls on Thursdays ensured that they were not too drunk to vote. (laughs) We might want to vote, Andy, but such is our predilection for self-annihilation that we need to be protected from our own bad decisions <laughs> by scheduling the election on the one day a week we are least likely to be unconscious. <laughs> such is our drinking problem. We need that decision taking out of our hands. <laughs> and apparently the Electoral Commission has recommended trials of weekend voting as a way of improving turnout. But again... They will just have to be trials, Andy, and I fear that those trials may reveal results of a lot of people vomiting, urinating, and falling asleep in voting booths. (laughs) Does that count as a spoiled ballot paper? (laughs) Oh, you know it does. You've chundered on it.
0: Well, there you go. That should keep you going until at least next week. And now, in the time-honoured Bugle tradition, we will play you out with some lies about our premium-level voluntary subscribers. A huge thanks to all who have contributed so far. To join them, with a recurring or one-off donation, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the Donate button. Chris, you may now instruct the Lies Band to begin their music. MUSIC Murray Tipping used to work in a secret government establishment researching the economic implications of sneezing, which costs the global economy an estimated $5.4 trillion every millennium in working time lost to pre-sneeze inhalations, the main sneezing phase itself and the after-sneeze recovery and cleanup. Carl Stoltzman always makes up a surname when communicating with people that rhymes with the person he's trying to make contact with. He has in the past written letters as Carl Twerlusconi, Carl Grease mogg Carl Blitherspoon and when he wrote to the Queen asking for an autograph, Carl the Feckend. Alejandro Trio, in a former career in a hospital, sneaked into the radiography department and took an x-ray of a 14th century Bible. It showed the unmistakable outline of a games console handset Read into that what you will. Mike Runo, well he once heroically saved a gallon of water from drowning in itself. What a guy. Daniel Puddock submitted a proposal that the creation of sliced bread and the birth of Jesus Christ should be replaced as the international standards of date keeping by the first Wimbledon final. An anonymous stoner, initials NJ, thinks that Olympic swimming would be significantly improved by using pools with a wave machine. NJ also wonders whether the javelin competition might get more media attention if it were conducted as a last athlete standing contest. Paul Walsh is unconvinced that the pen is mightier than the sword after yet again finishing last in his local fencing club's annual championships. Anonymous donor initials JK would love to go back in time with an electric guitar and give it to Mozart to see if the celebrity 18th century composing star would come up with the riff from Sweet Child of Mine. Another anonymous donor, this time initials MD, does not consider the word honey to be an appropriate term of endearment, given that the substance is essentially the byproduct of forced labour under an archaic hierarchical monarchy that we should have no truck with in a modern enlightened society. And finally, Mark Greenwood once won a year's supply of ice cubes in a competition at a local cocktail bar, but was very disappointed when the prize was delivered in one single consignment dumped on his driveway on a hot summer's morning. So there are your lies for this week, thanks to all of those people and, indeed, any of the rest of you who have contributed to the Bugle. Uh, This came in from Tim Wilkinson on Twitter on the subject of the uh, Bugle lies. Uh, He writes, If you could say... Please leave a message at some point, preferably on the show. It would be less useful otherwise, uh, wrote Tim. Well, I mean, yes, I do say it basically all the time anyway, but I'm recording this one for you. Uh, then, says Tim, I can turn my bugle lie into an answer phone message in case anyone ever calls me, for whatever reason. Uh, well, here you go, Tim. Please leave a message. Uh, let's have an alternative take of that. Please leave a message. Please leave a message. There take your pick from those. Until next week, goodbye.